Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. We're continuing our study through the book of Philippians, and we've made it to chapter 3, verse 12. And before we jump into the text, uh, last week, who remembers what we talked about? What was the theme for last week's message? God's grace. It was, man, we are saved simply by God's unmerited favor, and that's what grace means. It means to have favor unmerited, that we didn't earn it, and to be overjoyed with pleasure. We we found out that that's the Greek uh, and Roman greeting. They would say, charis, or grace to you. Unmerited favor, be overwhelmed with pleasure. And I'm not talking about physical pleasure. It's that inner peace, that joy that we get from God. Uh, But I got to tell you, the Greeks meant physical pleasure, material pleasure, all of that when they use it. Paul adopted that. So in most of his letters, remember, he wrote grace and what? Peace. The Hebrew greeting, which is shalom or peace to you or God's peace or all of that. So last week we talked about God's grace. And we just got that reminder that Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. God loves you. You are forgiven. You're a new creation in Christ. And you will go to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. Today, God put on my heart to talk about a unique union of two atoms. Any chemists? Anyone study chemistry? Okay. Yeah, so we're talking about oxygen and hydrogen today. Some of you are like, okay, you are just crazy. What has happened? Hydrogen, believe it or not, is the lightest element in the periodic table. It's lighter than helium. It's very interesting. It's a gas. It's odorless, colorless, non-toxic, but highly combustible. Who remembers the Hindenburg? Remember when it exploded? That was a hydrogen. It floated because of the hydrogen in it, but it's highly uh, combustible. Hydrogen only makes about uh, 0.14% of the Earth's crust, and only 0.00005 of our atmosphere. Okay, so hydrogen is rare on the planet, yet 70% of the mass of the universe is occupied by hydrogen and made up of hydrogen. Yeah. Technical difficulties. It says it's working. Oh, (laughs) all right. So hydrogen comes from two Greek words, hydro meaning water and gene meaning forming. And so when they named hydrogen after they discovered it, they said, okay, this is essential in the formation of water. And so it's hydro water forming or forming water, hydrogen. Oxygen is... um, Obviously, we need it. Constitutes uh, 45% of the Earth's atmosphere. uh, Makes up about 
uh, 22% are actually those those are switched. 22% of our atmosphere is oxygen. 45% uh, of the Earth's crust is oxygen in the form of oxidization. Oxygen is made through photosynthesis. Plants break down water during the photosynthesis process to make oxygen. According to some estimates, green algae uh, in the marine environments provide us with about 70% of the free produced oxygen on the planet. The rest is produced by terrestrial plants. Oxygen is a Greek word, oxy meaning acid, and gene again meaning forming. So oxygen, remember, uh, literally it, it, pure oxygen will rust metal, it, it really deter deteriorates stuff. All right, so when they're united together, we get H2O. Hydrogen, two parts, one part oxygen. If you just take uh, one part of oxygen and hydrogen, combine it in a place with no other gases and do a spark, there'll be an explosion, but what will result is water. So when the uh, Hindenburg exploded, there, there actually produced some water when it did explode. But scientists, frankly, cannot explain how all the water got on the Earth. They have theories, no doubt, but where, why, why is the Earth filled with water? How come we don't find ice on Mars? You know, they say one theory is comets hit this Earth billions of years ago, and they were made purely of ice, and they melted, and all the water in the world came from comets. Folks, if that were the case, there would be ice on the moon because it gets hit too. And Mars and Jupiter, folks, they do not find water anywhere else but on planet Earth and on comets. So where did it come from? Huh. Oh, Genesis tells us we're going to get there. You know, I love everything about water. How about you guys? Okay, I love to drink water. It's refreshing. I love to swim in it. I love to snorkel. I love to ski, snow ski, or water ski. Oh, yeah, snow. Hey, water comes in three forms, solid, liquid, and gas. Interesting. And, by the way, uh, you're attending living water. <laughs> Okay, we're almost done with the science. All right, so in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, it says, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice, that note this, by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Interesting. Science is finally catching up with what the Bible has articulated uh, for a long, long time. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Interesting. Science now says the earth was a complete water world in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 9, then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, 
and let dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that that was good. Isn't that interesting? Okay, so what about water? It's so much fun. You know, frozen water makes snow. We get snow cones. Uh, we get slushes. We get to snow ski and sled and do all that stuff. Water is a blast. I, I, lo I just love water. I love to backpack, too. Any of you ever backpack in the Sierras? So we used to go off trail in the Sierras. And uh, we would have to register with the forest department. Hey, everybody out there, how you doing? <laughs> and so one time we were going to this lake out in the middle of nowhere. There was like one little trail, but it was a five-day hike, grueling hike to get there. And we thought, you know, let's go to that lake. And we didn't bring much food because we thought, okay, this is going to be a pristine lake out in the middle of nowhere, barely touched by humans. So we thought it would be teeming with life and fish. So all we brought was bisquick, okay? Because bisquick, you can make pancakes, you can make biscuits, uh, you can bread your trout that you, the fish you get. I mean, bisquick when you're backpacking is gold. I mean, you can make a lot bread. I mean, it, it's so we have bisquick and all our fishing gear. Five days, okay? We get there. The lake was stagnant. How many of you have ever seen a stagnant lake? Okay, it, the fish literally were floating on the surface, dead. There was algae and mosquitoes. It was horrible. So there had been a, so we explored, because we knew a, a, a creek ran into it. There had been a landslide that diverted the creek. So since no fresh water came into that lake, it stagnated and the lake became lifeless. It became a stench, a cesspool. It was horrible. So we had to turn around and hike back out because <laughs> all we had was bisquick and no water really to speak of. So we went somewhere else. All right. All I know is this. Where there is no water, there is no life. And if water just stands and it's not filled and refreshed, it becomes stagnant and putrefied. Folks, it's just like Christians need the flowing, living water of the Holy Spirit flowing into their lives. Otherwise, they become stagnant and putrefied. We need spiritual water to quench our inner thirst and nourish our soul. In John chapter 7, starting at verse 37, Jesus said, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Folks, if you are not constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit, and by the way, every time the Bible talks about being baptized or filled in the Spirit, in the Greek, it is an ongoing occurrence. It's not a one-time event. You know, I could say in 1978, 
I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I haven't seen them since then. <laughs> you know? No, no, it's a daily, ongoing thing where we ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Folks, sometimes several times a day, I'm going through my day, and I don't know about you guys, but sometimes all of a sudden I find myself operating in the flesh, completely in the flesh. I mean, I get angry, I get frustrated, I'm, I, I'm devoid of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I, I, I'm devoid of it, I'm fully in the flesh. Guess what I have to do? I have to get away by myself and ask God and spend time with the Lord and say, Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let that living water of life flow into my mind and my spirit and my heart. And Lord, let the fruit of your Holy Spirit well up within me. But many Christians are stagnant. You know, it's amazing how young believers sometimes are so on fire for God. I mean, they're so excited about God because all of a sudden their, their eyes were open and, that, wow, God is real. Whoa, God wrote the Bible for us. It's just not contrived by men. It wasn't written by some man, but 40 guys moved by the Holy Spirit. So it, it is God's word. You know, some people say, well, if God would just talk to us, I would believe. That's why I hold up the Bible. Well, he, he gave us a whole 66 books. <laughs> you know, what else do you want him to say? Man, they're so excited. But us older Christians, oftentimes we lose that passion. We become stagnant. You know, it's very interesting. On Father's Day, I, I said we need to act like children. Did I say that? <laughs> just the childlike, just the good qualities. But I, I, I saved one quality for this sermon. We're going to talk about that in a minute. A lot of Christians, they reach a plateau in their spiritual journey, and they think they don't have to grow anymore. It's like, okay, I've arrived. I've, I've, I've finally reached spiritual maturity. There's no more growth possible for me. Huh. If you're not growing, folks, I can assure you, you are stagnating. You will become stagnant. Many Christians are wells without the water of life. You know, the Bible talks about them in Jude chapter 1, verse 12. There are men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead and uprooted. And folks, unfortunately, in many churches around the world, that's, that would specifically uh, give us an example of what some Christians are really like. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit flowing into us daily, constantly throughout the day like a river. That's why I love that Jesus said, he who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And he said, that's to everyone who believes in me. And this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. So it flows into us, but... I, I, I've been to uh, Pentecostal churches, and I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and 
the whole idea then with them and a lot of those churches is fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can feel good. I want that emotional rush. I want, woo, hallelujah, you know, I, I'm feeling good. No, you're filled with the Holy Spirit so that it flows out like rivers to those around you. You don't get a gift of the Holy Spirit for yourself. Well, I am this. No, you get it to minister to those around you and to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit flowing through us to keep us fresh and clean. Back to John chapter 7, verse 38 again. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. We just don't keep it in, but we share. To bring uh, to light the love and the fruit of the Spirit, to bring refreshment not only to ourselves, but to those we talk to. Everyone we interface with. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Again, that spirit, that water of life flowing in us to those around us. Don't let unwholesome words proceed, but rivers of living water. Your words become a flow of the Spirit of God. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. I love that. Folks, what we say is part of that living water flowing out to those around us, sharing our faith, correcting those that believe false doctrine, encouraging the brethren. Do your words quench the spiritual and emotional thirst of those you speak to? The Spirit flows in us not just to refresh us, but to refresh those around us. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity, and let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. You know, I love it when I'm having a rough day and a brother texts me a verse. Hey, hey, Pastor Brett, God put you on my heart. I was reading this this morning. They text me a verse praying for you. It just charges my day. Does that ever happen to you? Okay, folks, we should be doing that with each other. You know, often when I'm driving, I'm like, Lord, put on my heart who you want me to pray for. And he'll put one of you on my heart. Uh, and sometimes it'll be like, hey, give him a call or text him. Or may maybe I'll just pray and not even contact you. I guess I should uh, call you more often. <laughs> Have you ever been dying of thirst? I, I know we say we're dying of thirst, but you can probably go four days without water. Do you know that? Three, four days. Yeah, you can go about four minutes without air, and some people can go longer. Uh, when you get to the point where you are about to become so dehydrated, your body has a thirst response that's crazy. You know, when you immediately start feeling thirst, 
you've only lost 0.1% of the water that's in your body when you first start feeling thirsty. 0.1%. Just a little bit of water loss, and, and your, your body reacts. Hey, put some more water in me. But when you become dehydrated, you become irrational. You, be, you can't think. You, it, it literally affects who you are. And folks, there are so many Christians that deny the working of the Holy Spirit in Christians today. And they are delusional and irrational. Oh, yes, they say they teach the word of God, but they teach against what God spoke. In fact, the Bible said in Acts chapter 2, the first sermon to the church at Pentecost, they said to Peter, what should we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that gift is for you, your children, your children's children, as many who the Lord God calls to himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 14, really Paul starts talking about the gifting of the Holy Spirit and how we should do church. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, now we prophesy in part and we do these things in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When does the perfect come? At the rapture. That's when Jesus comes. <laughs> He's the perfect. And at the rapture, we won't need the gifting of the Holy Spirit. We won't need the fruit of the Holy Spirit because that will be who we are. It will naturally be part of uh, our DNA in our raptured, glorified bodies. Yes. So let me ask you a question, dear saint of God. Are you thirsty for spiritual water? In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul said this. Desire earnestly. Well, let's just turn there really quick. 1 Corinthians 14. So he just talked about the love chapter, right? And he talked about, hey, when the perfect comes, we won't need prophecy anymore or speaking in tongues or any of that. But note this. He said, uh, he ended 13, now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest was what? Love, right? So then he immediately in chapter 14, verse 1 says this. Pursue love yet desire earnestly the spiritual gifts. Desire there means to thirst after. Are you thirsty? Are you, are you ready to grow in your walk with the Lord, or are you stagnant? Have you reached your plateau, and you're done? I, I, I'm not going to climb this mountain any further. I'm, I'm good enough. I've reached my estimation of what spiritual maturity is, and there's no more room for growth. No, he says desire earnestly. That means desire there to lust after. Literally the same word. To, to thirst after earnestly the spiritual gifts, but especially that you would prophesy. For the one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands. 
but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. The one who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And folks, when pastors in the pulpit don't rely on the anointing and gifting of the Holy Spirit to prophetically speak God's word, they are doing it all in the flesh. Sure, we have some great orators. We have people that can craft a wonderful, should I call it a sermon? Maybe message, yeah. I mean, they got those three points and two jokes, and everything's perfect. They are wonderful orators. They, that's not me. I can't public speak. I, I literally can't. When God called me into ministry supernaturally uh, way back in 1981, I'm like, Lord, I can't public speak. Even in class, I would shake and get a twitch and sweat. <laughs> I don't know if you notice, when I first come to the pulpit, I'm shaking. I, I'm literally shaking, but at, God said, in your weakness, I'll speak through you. Just be faithful. Just come to the pulpit, and I am scared to death. And I've been preaching almost every Sunday since 1985. That's a long time, and I'm still scared to death. I am scared. I, I literally, before church, Man, I've got to get alone with the Lord and just say, please, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and let your word proceed out. Let your message get out to your people. I remember one pastor's conference. They're like, hey, what are you going to preach through this year? And I go, wow, you know, maybe Philippians, maybe Romans. I, I, I got to ask God what he wants. And even that, we're going through Philippians. If you notice, we've made it to chapter 3, verse 12, and we haven't even got to our text yet this morning. Because God so heavily put this message on my heart. Uh, it's, it's not mine. And so I just deliver to you as the UPS guy would deliver a package. I'm delivering God's message for you this morning. Yes. Let me ask you another question. What are you filling your life with you see we have this spiritual need and only God's word only the word of God and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit can meet that need or that thirst that everyone has but if you don't know the Lord I can assure you you are filling that spiritual need with something for some people it's relationships these horizontal relationships, and they, they literally get their spiritual needs met in some kind of horizontal relationship. Others, it's drugs. And, and for many, because taking drugs, pharmakia, is a, a, a form of witchcraft or spiritual stuff, you know, unhealthy spiritual stuff. I don't know about you, but I want fresh, crystal clear, refreshing, life-giving water from the Holy Spirit to fill me every day. But if that's not filling you, I can assure you the stagnant waters of this world are filling you with everything that is vile and bitter and stinky and against the word of God and the morals of Judeo-Christian ethics. You're either drinking that fresh water of the spirit or the vile, stagnant water of this world. 
In John chapter 4, verse 13, you know the story, it's the woman at the well. You know, and, and Jesus is there, and uh, man, he asked her for some water to drink. And Jesus, in verse 13, said, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Note this. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, what's that water? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, he already told us that. Whoever drinks the water that I will give him, note this, shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Here's what I know. The Bible says when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are born again. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. There is no way you can deny Christ. You, 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 you spiritually really never have to search, well, is Christianity true? Well, I kind of believe. I kind of like you know, Christianity, so I'll do that religion. You know, I tried the others, but no, we know truth. It becomes part of who you are, and it wells up with like this living water springing up in your heart. So back to John chapter 7, verse 37. It said, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Oh, saints of God, let us come to the Lord. And be filled and our spiritual thirst quenched. And let rivers of living water, verse 38, if you believe, let those rivers of living water start flowing out to those around you. If you aren't growing in your faith, you're stagnating. And today's the day to press in and press on to that abundant life in Christ. And that brings us to our text. <laughs> That was a big introduction. All right, Lord, thank you. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And we've got five minutes. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Note this, Paul is saying, even Paul, you know, you ever think that, oh, Paul, he was an apostle, you know, he, he had it all together. He is the epitome of what a Christian should be. What do you say? Man, I'm the worst. I'm the least of all the saints. And here he says, I'm not perfect. I haven't obtained it. I pr I'm pressing on. I'm on a faith journey just like you are. Brethren, verse 13, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, if you are stagnant this morning, if you've reached a plateau, if you're caught in a rut, if you're not growing, if you're not sharing, Today's the day 
God so heavily put this on my mind. We need to forget whatever you've done in the past. Well, I did this. I did this. I, who cares about that? What are you doing right now, and what are you going to do tomorrow? As Paul, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Man, we need to press on to forget the past, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that rivers of living water would flow out of us to those around us, and we would be refreshed, and we would be filled with the sweet fruit of the Holy Spirit, and we would be life-giving sources of God's truth to a lost and hurting world. Today we press on in our faith journey towards spiritual maturity. So he goes on, Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Let us therefore as many as are perfect or complete or mature have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the standard to which we have attained. Don't fall back or look back. What did we call it? Don't backslide. You ever hear that phrase? <laughs> That's when a Christian falls back into the things of the world. No, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep moving forward. Keep growing. Press on to maturity. And on Father's Day, I told you, uh, we talked about being like children. And we got that from Matthew 18.3. Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but whoever humbles himself as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And there's one quality a child has that I save from that message to talk to you about today and to end the message with this. Can you guess what it is? Childlike faith, yeah, we talked about that. We talked about that sense of wonder. You know, it's like, wow, Lord, look at that tree. What, you did an awesome job. You know, today I was walking the dog, and uh, uh, she loves to chase squirrels. And there's this one squirrel in this one particular tree on our run that I have to stop, and the squirrel teases the dog. Did you know squirrels make noises? Did you guys ever hear a squirrel? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they, and I, we're walking by, and it runs down just out of reach because my dog will try to climb the tree, literally just going crazy. It'll be just out of reach, just waving at my dog and making that noise. It's the craziest thing. Anyway, sense of wonder. Kids want one more thing, one more quality. They want to grow up. They want to mature. A little kid says, I can't wait till I'm six because then I can ride, ride a bike. Wow, I can't wait till I'm 10 because then my mom will let me go to the park. I can't wait till I'm 15 because then I can get my driver's permit. I can't wait till I'm 16. I can't wait to be 18. I can't wait to be 21. I can't wait till I finish college. They are constantly learning and growing, and that's how we need to be as believers now, to be filled with that living water, to have that childlike faith, and to press on towards maturity. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Verse 2, it says, like newborn babes, I love this, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. 
Yes. Yeah. Amen. Well, folks, uh, worship team, come on up. Our faith journey should be one of constant growth. One of not being satisfied where we're at in our relationship with God, but wanting to press in deeper to the Lord. To be more filled with his Holy Spirit and to minister to more people around us and demonstrate the life-giving spiritual water of the Holy Spirit to those we come in contact with. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, I'm going to end with this. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world by lust. Verse 5. Now for this very reason, apply diligence in your faith, and in your faith, moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Ultimately, it comes down to love again, and we can only truly love the way God wants us to if we're empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. He ends that little text there in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, what does that mean? They're growing in you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. You are growing. You're not stagnating. They will render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Folks, I pray that today we would all just press into the Lord and press on to grow in our walks, to get ever closer, to be more like Jesus every day. And even if you failed, God's right there waiting to help you grow and to fill you with his Holy Spirit this morning. And restores my soul, satisfies my need. Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course and we'll see you next week. Satisfies my needs